You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Kootenai Community Church's Adult Sunday School. It's okay if you ignore me. I had teenagers. I'm immune to it. So we will be in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians again. My voice is doing fall things, so even though fall has skipped us, my fall voice hasn't. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your miraculous word this morning, which you vouchsafed to us and gave us for learning to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and for properly worshiping and acknowledging you and for coming to salvation. Lord, there is so much that you do through your word that we are far too, um, far, not as, not as a grateful as a people as we ought to be. But this morning we are grateful. We know that you have something for us, uh, as you do every day as we study your word. And so we look forward to that this morning by the teaching of, in, by the teaching and illumination of your Holy Spirit. Might we honor you in all that we say and do. And we'll thank you for what you're going to accomplish today and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have been working our way through Second Corinthians, and we're at chapter 12, verse 12. And I thought it appropriate at this point to bring up something we studied in First Corinthians, and uh, we'll get to it um, after we do our reading. So this morning, for context's sake, let's start at verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Remember, Paul is... Before we start reading, remember Paul is struggling with this idea that the Corinthians have had to have elicited from him his response to them of giving them his apostolic credentials. He doesn't like boasting. He never has liked boasting. And it's actually, uh, the Proverbs teach that another man should speak your praises and not your own lips. And so Paul is, is dealing with a, a, a people who have accepted false teaching. Not wholesale, but their church has allowed it, and uh, they should have known better. And one of the things that they have imbibed is this idea of super apostles. Um, so there's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> nothing. And Paul is having to deal with that throughout this section of Scripture. He's, he's letting the Corinthians know that while he doesn't like boasting, he will give them his credentials so that they can compare them with the false apostles. And he calls himself... And the other apostles, Peter and James, John, the true apostles. And, uh, we'll see that. We'll see how that plays out. We're going to look at the signs. When he talks about the signs of an apostle, we're going to look at that today. Chapter 12, verse 11. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. 
The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as an inferior, as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, <coughs> but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you the more, am I to be loved the less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? I'm going to stop there. Because a new, a new thought is being introduced here, which we won't get to for a while. So back last week, we finished at verse 11. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Paul maintains his humility by reminding the Corinthians that he thinks of himself as no one, but God has... God, in his sovereign choice, has decided to use Paul to bring the gospel, to bring the word of God to the New Testament churches as they are being formed. And he was the founder of the Corinthian church. They received the word of God from his mouth directly. They saw him perform signs and wonders. He's going to talk about that. And yet, at some point, they began to believe false teaching. And you know what it's like when someone says, you know that Cornell, he, he makes an awful lot of money at that Omer surplus store. Why does he drive such an old rig? And the words, and, and hey, you know, and you go, no, that's just not true. And then later on you go, yeah, and he's weird to boot. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm humorizing it, but the fact is, when we stop and let things enter our minds about somebody else that's being talked about without going to that person, we can be, we can think the wrong things ourselves, can we not? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever assumed anything? I never have. <laughs> Today, in the last 20 minutes, because I've been too busy trying to figure out how to make that stupid computer work. These, these, these Corinthians should have gone to Paul. And it's much more difficult maybe back then, but it could have been done. And it was important enough to do. He said, you should have commended me. They knew who he was. They knew what he was. He didn't go there for two days, preach the gospel and leave. He was there for 18 months. He was there for a year and a half. He spent time in their homes. I don't want to bog down here, but the point is, <clears throat> he had to become foolish, he said. And so now the Corinthians are weighing these signs and wonders. Now, these false apostles have no signs and wonders. They have nothing. But they have the ability to put a little worm of thought in someone's mind. And that worm of thought begins to work. And without following proper biblical procedure and asking the person who is being accused, getting together with the person who is being accused, that worm of thought has produced this breakdown in the Corinthian church. In, in many people. And so we pointed out last week when a good man or a woman is being maligned improperly or properly, and those who know better sit in silence, they are participating in that sin. 
They are just simply participating in that sin. And uh, let it not be said among the believers in modern-day Christianity that when we see someone who is being falsely accused, we just sit in silence. This is what caused, partly caused the breakdown in the Corinthian church. So <clears throat> one of the things that was apparently happening was Paul was being maligned about the things that he did. And so in verse 12, he says this. He says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. He had to persevere in producing those signs. It's a, it's a lot of work to be to do what Paul had done uh, in his 35 or so year ministry, traveling throughout the Mediterranean area, bringing the word of God to so many people. So another reason that the Corinthians should have risen to Paul's defense is that they had witnessed his remarkable abilities given to him by the Father for the accomplishment of establishing the church. The New Testament era was one of three eras in which it was accompanied by signs and wonders. And I, I thought that I would just break this down. I've taught this section before um, about the cessation of the gifts, of some of the sign, of the sign gifts. But, and I was going to just break out the apostle, but I thought it would be better just to keep it in context and whole. It'll take us a little bit of time to go through, and as it did last time. But there have been three eras in which the signs, in which God accompanied men, and, men who were proclaiming the word of God were accompanied by signs and wonders. The New Testament era was one of those three eras. Paul claimed to be a now you can't, oh yeah, I guess I am online, you can see this. You used to be able to say, well, you can't see this because I'm not, but <laughs> now you can't, that's terrifying. He was a true apostle. He claimed to be a true apostle as opposed to the false apostles, the super apostles. Biblical terminology demonstrates two types of apostles. The original 12 to which were added Matthias and Paul and subtracted Judas. These men were commissioned personally by the Lord Jesus Christ to establish the church and transcribe through inspiration the Holy Scriptures. We have gone through this information when we studied 1 Corinthians, but it bears repeating. Because true apostleship was a gift of the Holy Spirit, we must look at that office in light of the contents, in light of the concept of the continuation or cessation of, said, of that gift, which was given at the advent of and during the history of the forming of the New Testament church. One of the more important controversies in the church today is the concept of continuation or cessation of the sign gifts. It is important to note that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the world today. Every time he regenerates a sinner, that is a miraculous work. And God can heal, can he not? But what does he require? Nothing. He's sovereign. He can heal at will in an instant. He created, the only reason he created the earth in seven days, six days and resting on the seventh, is because he chose to spread it out over that time. Was he not able to simply snap his sovereign fingers, now I'm using a human terminology, an anthropomorphism, and instantly create everything he could have? But for the purposes of all of the redemptive history that would come later, he would be able to, God would be able to tie things back to the creative days of to the several, the six days of creation, of creation. That's why he chose to do that. He can heal today. Every time he regenerates, I said a sinner, that's a miraculous work. God moves as he is wishes, as he wishes, and he is not constrained by anything. The question is, are there certain times in history when we can see that God supernaturally empowered humans to do miraculous things? 
A careful study of the scriptures reveals that there were three periods of time in which God allowed humans to do things normally only he would do. And in the New Testament, God gave both permanent gifts, which edify the church throughout the church age, and temporary gifts, which were signs to confirm the word of God and to confirm those who would bring that word and found the church. The first time in history was the exodus from Egypt and in the life of Joshua, a period of about 65 years During that period of about 65 years, Moses and Joshua were energized by the Holy Spirit and did marvels and wonders. Moses was a meek man with a proper sense of his own inability, and he was used by God in miraculous ways. He was reluctant and afraid because he knew his own limitation, and God had to enable enable him and even prod him. Exodus 6, 28-30. Now, it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Exodus 7, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, Let that, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Prior to this confrontation with Pharaoh, Moses had already been charged to speak to the people of Israel on God's behalf, and he was even reluctant to do that. God had to, as it were, convince him that Jehovah could empower a human to do things that were beyond human ability. Exodus 4, 15 and 16. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, moreover, He shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. Now, this is all to kind of set up what we understand so we can see what is going on in the New Testament church here and how these people are improperly ascribing to these false apostles the powers of an apostle. This putting the words into someone's mouth is the very definition of prophecy and and inspiration. And so, along with the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, And all the other wonders that Moses performed, we see that for a period of about 65 years, God allowed men great latitude in performing wonders for his glory and to confirm what he was doing with and in Israel. The purpose of allowing Moses and Joshua to perform these miracles was to validate what God was doing through them. It was to confirm that Moses was actually God's prophet and was to be heard and obeyed. A couple of observations about Moses and the prophets. God gives the criteria, by the way, for a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 13. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spake to you, saying, let us go after other gods, whether you have known whom you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Where do we find information to give us the ability to discern if it's a proper person to go after or not? The Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. If it is spoken against or for in the Scriptures. That's where we look. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, and those were written down, and you shall listen to his voice and serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord. 
the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. This was Old Testament um, prop, uh, procedure. Remember that criteria. The prophet of God is 100% accurate. <coughs> Excuse me. If there is the least bit of deviation from existing scripture in the prophet's message, it is a false message. If the prophet makes a prediction that does not come true, this perfectly validates that the person was never a prophet in the first place. They were a liar and are a liar and a schemer and a blasphemer. The second period of time that God supernaturally empowered men to perform what he normally does was the time of Elijah and Elisha between 860 and 795 B.C., again, a period of about 65 years, during which Elijah performed the amazing miracle of calling down fire on the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, 31 through 39. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he, made, he built a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid, on it, laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And again, the express purpose of this miracle was to validate that Elijah was God's prophet and that he was indeed authentic. The third period of miracles occurs in the New Testament from the onset of the ministry of the Lord Jesus until the death of the apostle John, which lasted about 70 years. The Lord Jesus worked more miracles than anyone prior to him or anyone after. His miracles were strictly to validate his ministry, ministry and to confirm that he spoke the words of God. John 5.36 But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. There it is. Those works testify about me that the Father has sent me. When the people saw the miracles he performed, they were convinced, and, it, and this indeed was the purpose of the miracles, John six fourteen. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world, John seven thirty one. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform these, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Matthew eleven three through 5. And he said to him, are you the expected one, John the Baptist? Or do we look for someone else? Jesus answered him and said to him, said to them, Go and report to John what you see and hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John 10, 24 and 25. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. 
John 10, 37 and 38. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. The miracles Jesus performed were not primarily a tool of evangelism, but were rather for authentication of his ministry and a demonstration that he was indeed who he claimed to be. (laughs) When Peter preached his great sermon in Jerusalem, this was one of the themes. He reminded the crowd that Jesus performed great wonders in their presence, and this, in fact, attested to them that he was from God. Acts chapter 2.22. Did I skip one? Yeah. Thank you. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. These miracles authenticated that Jesus was directly from God. In fact, he was God himself. Not only did Jesus perform miracles himself, but he gave this power to the apostles as well. Acts 14.3 Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Acts chapter 9, 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Romans 15, 18 and 19. For I will not presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Elyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. This power to perform these signs and wonders was explicitly to confirm that the apostles were speaking the words of God and doing the work of God. Miracles are not found hither thither throughout the scriptures. Of course, God can work a miracle anytime he wants to. But the sign gifts, such as miracles given to men to perform, clearly happened only three specific times in biblical history. And the the gift of apostleship was a gift given at a particular time in history. And it went away at the end of the New Testament. We'll see that. Um, This was said by... One commentator put it this way. He said, Miracles do not on the pages of Scripture vagrantly here and there and elsewhere indifferently without assignable reason. They belong to the revelation periods and appear only when God is speaking to his people through accredited messengers declaring his gracious purposes. Their abundant display in the apostolic church is the mark of the richness of the apostolic age in Revelation. And when the Revelation period closed, the period of miracle working had passed by also and was a mere matter of course, as a mere matter of course. When this Revelation period closed, the, mir- the, mir- the period miracle working had passed by also as a mere matter of course. God the Holy Spirit has made it his subsequent work not to introduce new and unseated, unneeded revelations into the world, but to diffuse this one complete revelation through the world and to bring mankind into the saving knowledge of it. 
And he uses the scriptures to do that. No. Peter, is there any place in scripture where there is a verse that says this is the end of the revelation period? And there is not. There is not. At any, at any time. During the period of Moshua, Moshua and Joseph. Joshua and Moses. <laughs> See how easy you can, you can do new scripture? And the period of Elijah and Elisha and during the New Testament period. What, what we, I'm wondering why Paul didn't heal Timothy. I mean, that's just one little little question you could ask them. There's a number of things throughout the, the remainder of the New Testament that indicate that this was winding down towards the end when John finally passes from the scene in Patmos and brings us the book of Revelation. Yes? Yes? So in Philippians chapter 2, um, we have the account of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, therefore, so looking at verse uh, 26, because he was longing for you all, Epaphroditus, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him also only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that you may see him again. When you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in, your, in, deficient in my service for you. I better go back to that and make sure. In your service to me. <laughs> New scripture. Jim. Right. So Jim pointed out that it's it's clear that there's a progression through the book of Acts, an explosion of miracles followed by propagation of the word of God and less and less of the miracles necessary as the New Testament period wears on. To where will we get to the end? Um, there are none. There's nothing, nothing in that respect happening. But the word of God is still going forth with power and with force and with results. At any rate, uh, uh, what I wanted to get to it, if we get to it this morning, we're talking about miracles and some of the sign gifts, but the point is one of the gifts was the gift of the apostolic office, the office of apostle. So, so it is evident that spirit, Scripture anticipates and teaches that miracles are not the normative method of God in dealing with humanity. This is not every day. Did you see a miracle yesterday? See one this morning? Ten minutes ago? You got... <laughs> yeah. says, I got up. <laughs> it's a miracle. Yeah, I, I can tell you, there's been mornings when I got up and it was more than a miracle. But we, we tend to throw that word around. It's like we throw the word love around. I love chocolate chip cookies, but not in the same way I love my wife. I mean, they're not even on the same page. 
There needs to be, like the Greeks had five words. Was it five words? Four words for love, and then there was one more that was kind of about love. And and we don't have that. We love chocolate chip cookies. We love kittens. I don't really like kittens, but I, I, I know some of you do. So <laughs> Now you know how bad I am. We love our wives, we love our husbands, and, and, but it's the demonstration of the things that we do for each of those categories that shows what the difference of that love is. So it's evident that God doesn't deal normally with miracles in any time of history. These were explosions of miraculous occurrences that were used to authenticate his intervention, if you will, in history for a specific purpose. And the specific purpose of the New Testament time was to, was to introduce the church and finish the scriptures so that people would have, um, the body of Christ to repair to. They would have a place to go after salvation and be built up and, and love one another and be able to work together to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. And the scriptures would be finished so that they would have the final direct revelation of God that could be used, and it is sufficient for everything we need. We don't need an apostle today, a big A apostle. Now, we're going to talk about that. There's some differences about that word. It's, it's another word that the New Testament uses in two ways. Concomitant to the ending of the miracles is the ceasing of the gift of apostleship. Not all of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave to the church are offices, but all of the offices are in fact gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle notes, Paul the apostle notes, that Christ gave gifts to men. And then, and then he ascended, and it says again that he gave gifts to men. Then down in verse 11, the gifts are listed. And in this particular case, those listed gifts are positions or offices, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Ephesians 7.11, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he held, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. In order to be an apostle, big A, a person had to meet three qualifications. Number one, you had to be a witness in person of the resurrected Lord. Acts chapter 1, 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all, the, who, the, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. They had to have been witnesses from the beginning to the end of the Lord's ministry, physically. Number two, you had to have been personally appointed by the Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up into heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And in that time, you'll notice specifically throughout the scripture, the apostles are differentiated from the disciples. The apostles were disciples, but not all of the disciples were apostles. And that's easy to see. I, I could have plastered, we could have read scripture for three hours. 
number three, number three, you had to be able to work miracles. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10, 1 through 4. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. Do you think he had more than 12 at that time? By Matthew chapter 10? Of course he did. But he summoned his 12 disciples. Who's he talking about? Is there any doubt about who he's talking about? He's talking about the 12 apostles. He summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the name of the 12 apostles, as if there was any doubt, are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, then Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Those are the twelve disciples who were also apostles. And there are none other named. Now, it's pretty much accepted church doctrine that there were twelve apostles plus Paul. Of course, the apostles, after the resurrection, chose a replacement for Judas to bring the number back to twelve. Each one of them met the three qualifications just mentioned. Further, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, when he was present in Corinth, he worked in a manner that identified him as an apostle. Did Paul see the Lord Jesus in person? You bet he did. And it was the most interesting personal appearance of all. He got knocked off a horse. I, I just can't imagine. It must have been absolutely unbelievable, amazing. <clears throat> Verse, which we're just reading now. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. It is also accepted teaching that after the death of John, there were no more apostles other than in aberrant sects and cults who still think that the gift of apostleship is continued. There is no definitive scripture that stipulates that the gift of apostleship ceased. There is simply the fact that the 12 plus Paul were known to have performed the signs of apostleship and fulfilled the three qualifications. Numerous times we may see other New Testament notables designated as apostles, such as Barnabas in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, Andronicus and Junius in Romans 16.7, and James, the Lord's brother, in Galatians 1.19. In the sense that Barnabas, Epaphroditus, and others are apostles, so are we. Because the word means ambassador in the general sense. Are you not an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ today? Hopefully we are good ones by His grace. <clears throat> we were not tasked with the founding of the church in the specific manner that those twelve and Paul were. And so neither are we called, as Paul was called, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ. Jesus, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Each one of the twelve and Paul were taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ, commissioned by him and sent out by him. This is the specific, this is a specific office that has ceased. The office of apostle was a gift, as mentioned earlier, and it is one of the gifts that has ceased. Noting this, that the gift of apostleship ceased, and it being the one most associated with miracles, we see that the ending of certain gifts is not unusual. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul explains in a succinct manner salvation and the forming of the church. He reminds that it is by grace we have all been saved, and that even that faith that we exercised is a gift of grace to achieve salvation. We are his workmanship. We are 
<laughs> we are his workmanship. We were formerly dead in our trespasses and separate from Christ. We had no hope <clears throat> of having been, we had no hope, but having been far off formally, we are now brought, we are now, oh, let me start over. I got new glasses. This is going to be my excuse for today. And they're not focusing correctly yet. Or maybe I'm not. <clears throat> oh, that's much better. <laughs> we are his workmanship. We were formerly dead in our trespasses and separate from Christ. We had no hope. But having been far off formally, we are now brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he himself is our peace. He has reconciled us to God through the cross, by the cross. All of the Galatians were thus reconciled, as Paul was explaining to them in that great epistle. Then in verse 20, he states that the church, the called out ones, those who were once strangers and aliens who are the church, that church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So going forward, the foundation is something different from the edifice that is built on, that it is, that is built on that foundation. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Those foundational stones, as it were, ended with the death of John the Apostle. Each and every believer has been built into the church as an individual stone on top of the foundation stones. Now, lest we think that only people come forward today and in Paul's day and claim to be apostles, there are still people coming forward claiming to be the Messiah. So that hasn't changed either. There was one Messiah, and that gift, if you will, ceased being, ceased its um, physical appearance on earth at the end of the New Testament, or actually in, in 33 AD. The apostles... That office has ceased. But the going forward of the spreading of the gospel continues. So many gifts have continued. Pastor, teacher, elder, those kinds of things. So these two separate groups, the apostles and the prophets, were part of a finished foundation upon which the church could be built. Ephesians 2 makes it clear that the foundational work of the apostles and the prophets was completed, and in fact, as the apostles were writing the New Testament, was being completed. Apostleship has ceased. Prophetic utterances have ceased. New scripture is not happening. The canon is closed. And the giving forth of new revelation has ceased. The pseudo-gifts we have today bear no resemblance to the originals. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit gave those gathered together on Pentecost the ability to speak in other tongues, those tongues were actual languages which the multitude around and came together, it says, they were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. It would be like if in this audience today, there were people who spoke only Mandarin Chinese, who spoke only Hindi, who spoke only Spanish, who spoke only Portuguese, which is close, so that's not a fair, or a fair um, comparison. But And as I was talking... Make sure all of this gets on the tape so nobody thinks I'm complaining this. And as I was talking, you were hearing it in your own language. Correct pronunciation, predicates and nominatives in their proper position, everything perfectly. That's what the New Testament gift of tongues was. And that's what we were talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Today, we're talking about the gift of apostleship. And, as, and so we need to recognize that these false apostles in Corinth we're doing the same thing to the church in Corinth that false apostles do today. They confuse the brethren. They amass to themselves false believers. 
and they distort the gospel, and they undermine the work of God. And nothing better can be said about them than that. They are, in effect, satanic messengers. Satanic messengers. There is no other example, no other uh, proper way to call them. Whether it was in Paul's day, Calvin's day, Chrysostom's day, or our day, people who come to you and say that I am an apostle of God and I have a new revelation that has heretofore not been heard, run from them. They are a liar of the highest order. And these people in Corinth should have known better. They should have risen to Paul's defense. If I ever get up here in front of you and speak something and your eyes start rising and do something about it. (laughs) Now, Lord willing, that's never going to happen. First of all, I'm not smart enough. And secondly, I believe this. I believe this. That's what the church in Corinth should have done. They should have said, there should have been some among them who were searching the scriptures because they were from Berea and had had uh, were visiting Corinth and went, what is he talking about? May I ask you a question? And then follow the proper procedure to deal with that. There's a church discipline procedure that can be followed. That's all been outlined in Matthew and in Galatians and in other places as well. But they didn't do that. And so now Paul says in verse 11, I have become foolish to you because of what those false apostles said. They actually were spouting foolishness and you believed it. Now I've become foolish to you. Actually, I should have been commended by you. You should have spoken up. This should have been strangled in its infancy. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. So he was on par with Peter and John and James. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Those were the signs that authenticated a true apostle at the advent of the New Testament church. Those signs were were um, um, were done by Paul and the other apostles in the presence of those who attended the church at Corinth. They should have known better. It's often said, though, how many times have you looked at someone who did something they shouldn't have done and you said to them, you should have known better? So then, because we should have known better, we teach it. We teach it again and again. We remind ourselves what the scriptures say so that we will know better and we won't succumb to the kinds of things that, that happened in Corinth. For in what respect were you treated inferior? Paul, next week, he's going to... Are you teaching next week, Jess? So in days to come, we'll find out some of the things that were just niggling and bothering the Corinthians, just at the back of their mind. Well, what about this, Paul? And what about that, Paul? And you're going to find out, just like <laughs> we always find out when we have a big difference of opinion or a, or a, a blowout with our spouse or a friend. And weeks and months later, finally that blowout is resolved. And we look at each other and go, now what was that about again? Because often it's not about anything really big. Jess, you were going to say something? Oh, <laughs> Scott Klusendorf will be here next Sunday, so he will be teaching Sunday school. It'll be about uh, making arguments for the unborn, for the, for the smallest among us. 
for the most precious and smallest among us. Any other questions? I kind of went through that without asking if there were questions or concerns. But I wanted us to be able to see together again what the signs of a true apostle are and why they are so specific in Scripture and why today people want to see signs and wonders, just like in all eras. They always want to see something. Show me. Show me something. This is what we have to show them. And this is more than sufficient. I think there's actually a, a big to-do going on down in Southern California about the sufficiency of Scripture. It's coming. This is coming back, folks. This book is going to be attacked more than ever in the days and the months and the years to come. Because we have a, we have a, a mandate from God that there is only one name under heaven by which men are called to be saved. Only one. Well, aren't you guys being real narrow-minded? Yeah. Thank you very much. The second word in that was the most important one, minded. But it's our attitude about this word and about the salvation that it proclaims that will be of abundant importance in the days to come. Were any one of us special? Did any one of us deserve what the Lord God has given us? No. And that needs to be at the forefront of our thought, just as it was at the forefront of Paul's when he kept saying, but I'm a nobody. You should have known better, but I'm a nobody. So, together, let's be ready to defend the Scriptures. Let's be ready to remind people of of their importance today as in every day. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.